Hello and welcome back to Bandora's Palace, a tokusatsu podcast home to monsters in rubber suits, heroes in full body spandex, and giant robots made of other smaller giant robots. I'm Steven. And I'm Pat. And we will be beginning our first ever foray into the ancient and mystical world of Kyoru Sentai Zero Ranger. I'm so excited. This is the part of this show I have been looking forward to. Like, don't get me wrong. Season one Mighty Morphin Power Rangers is like peak 90s nostalgia Power Rangers, and that's exciting. But this, this is a whole new experience, like taking some of my favorite like elements and mixing them together in utterly new ways. And I am so fascinated to see what comes out of it. But of course, let's, as this is not our first episode, but our first episode of this particular program. Let's take a minute to talk a little bit about Kyoru Sentai Z-Ranger. Now, while Mighty Morphin Power Rangers was the first Power Rangers, it was the first of its line, uh, this is far from the case for the show which provided its source footage and inspiration. Kyoru Sentai Z-Ranger is the 16th installment in the Japanese tokusatsu television meta-series known as Super Sentai, which is an umbrella of TV shows which differ in cast, setting, and antagonist, but which all fall within that Henshin hero genre we've previously discussed and focus on teams of transforming superheroes taking on various bad guys. Now, Z-Ranger aired originally on February 21st, 1992. And for context, that's nine months before I was born. (laughs) And concluded February 12th, 1993, about three months after I was born, and six months before Mighty Morphin Power Rangers would hit the airwaves for the first time. While Z-Ranger was far from the beginning of this franchise... It was notable within the series for being the first Super Sentai show to feature a regular recurring Sixth Ranger character, something that became a series staple, and also for being the first Sentai with sentient living mecha, uh, a theme which frequently recurs within the franchise. In 2015... Zero Ranger became the first Super Sentai series officially released in North America with English subtitles. And in 2016, it became available in its entirety, streaming for free on Shout Factory TV, which is the version we'll be watching for the show. Now, Pat, I know that we mentioned last week that neither of us have actually watched Z-Ranger before. This is going to be a new experience for us both. Do you have any specific thoughts before we dive in? Like, like what are you hoping to get out of this experience uh, of watching this very old Japanese children's TV show? Well, I had thoughts, and then I watched the episode. 
And a lot of those kind of got thrown out the window. <laughs> so, um, at this point, I'm hoping to really see something that influenced my, my very young childhood and really understand where it came from, what it did, and really see the, the source material. Like, I've, one of the big things that, you know, when, when we were creating the show was like, all right, we're going to watch the, watch the Sentai and that, like you were talking about earlier, that that sparked a big old like, heck yeah, let's do this. This is like a bunch of excitement. So I'm I'm just really interested in actually watching the show and and understanding it. Yeah. Like it should be really a really good time. I've never watched Z Ranger before, but I have watched other Sentai of like of the era that that are its kind of contemporaries, I guess. Um, specifically, I watched about about three quarters of uh, Gosei Sentai Die Ranger, which is the very next series uh, where they draw like the uh, the Thunder Zords from in Power Rangers. And I didn't mm-hmm. finish it, not because it wasn't good, but just because I just kind of got busy and put it down. But one thing that really immediately struck me is just how much more coherent the storytelling was than it was in the same era of Power Rangers. And so I'm hoping that that is true, not just of Die Ranger, but of, of Sentai. And I imagine that it will be. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing all of those familiar elements thrown together into like a much more like cohesive and, and narratively strong story because that's my jam and I'm really excited for it. Awesome. All right. Now today's episode of Kyoru Sentai Z Ranger is the first, obviously, and so we're starting from the very beginning. But before we talk about the episode, it is worth noting today and every day that we are talking about Z Ranger that Pat and I are not linguists. We are not fluent Japanese speakers, and we will be doing our God's honest best when it comes to Japanese words and names. So if you're a native Japanese speaker, or if you are one of the human people that we credit for directing or writing or acting in anything that we watch, and we mispronounce something, hopefully not your name, but probably your name, I'm super sorry. I promise we are doing our God's honest best. We're we're doing the best we can. (laughs) Now, today's episode is The Birth, or Tanjo, which aired initially on February 21st, 1992. It was written by Noboru Sugimura and directed by Shohi Tojo, and it is the first part of the two-part season premiere. Pat, do you have any thoughts on this premiere before we jump into the episode? Um, I mean, really, I I like the idea of multi-episode beginnings like really take the time to set up the whole season. So I'm I'm really hoping that between episode 1 and episode 2 we really get to, like a good feel for our villain, our our main characters, you know, their motivations, who they are, why this is all happening. So I'm I'm pretty excited about it. For sure. I I really loved the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers premiere, but I had like a, a number of very particular like nitpicks with it. Um, and one of them was just that like everything was rushed. They give it to you all at once as quick as possible because they're trying to sell the concept. Um, and I just really hope that in, in the Sentai show where that's not nearly as much of a factor that we get much more of like a, a slow burn, a simmer where, where they, they feed it to us slowly. I think that that could be really good and interesting and a nice contrast. And I'm hoping we get that. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into episode one of Kyoru Sentai Z Ranger, the birth. <laughs> 
All right, so we open as we always do on the show opener. And and again, we're not going to talk about it every time, but it's the first time we're seeing it. So let's take a minute to talk about the opening. The music does slap is is a bop, to be clear. Yes. Significantly less of a bop than the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers theme. Um yes. that is that is one point directly in the Power Rangers column. Z Ranger, I'm sorry, your music is good. It's not like fucking poppy death metal for kids. Yeah, no, I I before I heard it, I expected something more up tempo, you know, something that might fit better with a a, a fighting franchise. But you know that and that like you were saying, that's not to say it's bad. It's it's a very good song, and I quite enjoyed it. But I was expecting something more in your face. Yeah, it's it's very, like, uplifting pop music. Like, almost, well, I mean, like, pr- kind of proto-J-poppy a little bit, which which makes sense. Like, it's all, yeah, it's all in, yeah. from the same region. Uh, but no, it's it's good. It's nice. It's got some, like, some, like, good orchestration, but it's it's not... It's not Ron Wasserman. <laughs> exactly. But our, our Z Ranger opening opens on a book opening up, which which I think is actually like really fitting. Like it brings to mind like like fairy tales and their telling in popular media. Um like everything from like the original animated Snow White to Shrek, right? Kind of opens with the, the book opening. Um and, and they do that and then immediately go into bad animatronic dinosaurs. But it's nineteen ninety-two. And a children's TV show, so that's fine. We get bad anim- animatronic dinosaurs. And we open on the line that more than 170 million years after the time of the dinosaurs, the five rangers have been resurrected. So we're not even into the show yet, and already this is a wildly divergent plot from what we are used to. This is not a case of modern teens being granted ancient power. These are... Ancient Warriors, which is wild and kind of dope. Yeah, I'm all about it. Um, we also get a, a quick flash in English on the screen of Dinosaur Squadron ZU Ranger, which is like the, the English translation of Kyoru Sentai, apparently, is Dinosaur Squadron, which, dope, I'll take that. And... Just, like, the opening goes by quickly, and it's very action-packed. I'd say more so even than the Mighty Morphin opening. And just in that opening, there are a ton of action shots, which I just uh, immediately struck me as, I have never seen this before. Why have I never seen this before? This is incredible. Just, like, people getting kicked in the face and flipping around, and, like, the the Yellow Ranger, like, dances on the shoulders of a bunch of putties and kicks them all in the head. It's It's great! Never seen a lick of this footage before. Me neither. Like, there's there's one shot, you've got, like, all of them standing in a triangle, or, like, almost a triangle, it's missing the top. And I'm like, where was that? <laughs> when did that happen? I don't know, I don't know what Saban was doing when he took the old hacksaw to this footage, but he left out some gold, apparently. Um, we also got to see them driving cool dino cycles, which... Makes so much more sense because if you're familiar with your Power Rangers lore, when the Power Rangers finally get motorcycles, which I don't believe is until like mid-season two, they're sharks. They're shark cycles. Mm -hmm. And it makes literally – it doesn't go with anything. It doesn't go with the Zords, which are mythological beasts at the time. It doesn't go with the suits, which are still dinosaurs. They just get shark bikes. 
<laughs> but toys. But yeah, but toys. But the ZU Rangers actually get dinosaur motorcycles that like match like the aesthetic of their team. And not everyone gets one. There's a black one and there's a blue one and they have sidecars and, and a red one. Of course there's a red one. That's really interesting, especially because it's not just an internalized misogyny thing, because the Yellow Ranger in ZU Ranger is a man. So yeah, it's just kinda it's just kinda interesting, I think. Uh, and definitely way cooler than the shark cycles. And also I mean, getting getting into things later, the Pink Ranger's a princess. The Pink Ranger is a princess, like like an actual fuck off princess, which is dope. Um, so, <laughs> like, of course, she's not going to be driving. She gets chauffeured. No, she should she should get a palanquin. Obviously, uh, obviously. <laughs> now, one thing that struck me is that the putties like are are everywhere and they're immediately recognizable. But in a lot of the shots, they're different enough to be really unsettling. They've got like these weird, blockier, more clay like heads sometimes, at least, and it's really creepy. And I like that effect a lot. Lastly, uh, I I criticized. The Mighty Morphin Power Rangers intro specifically for giving away everything before the show even starts regarding like the Megazord and Z Ranger doesn't do that. We, we do see the Tyrannosaurus clearly and it uses like it's, it's big earth, earthquake breath attack. Uh, but it's the only giant robot that we see, which is kind of refreshing. And I think it's going to be interesting to see if the intro updates like later after the Megazord has been introduced or if this is just what it stays. But, but either way, I like it. Yeah, I thought that was a good touch. Like, just kind of a, a little tease in there at the end. Yeah, you don't you don't show everything away in your free preview, then nobody signs up for your OnlyFans. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, now, the show opens on an old man sweeping, and he's singing as school children run near him, singing, let's go to the woods, young lady. So this show is already off to a real creepy start. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the, the kids run off to school, and as they're running, they pass a storefront with TVs that are showing a rocket launch, and the camera kind of hovers on the TVs. Uh, the newscaster says that the rocket has reached the orbit of Planet Nemesis. Planet Nemesis. Why would why would you go to Planet Nemesis? I mean, it only comes around every 230 million years. Yeah, it's currently approaching the Earth after an orbital period of 230 years, which this is so much more information. 230 million. 230 million, excuse me. Uh, this is so much more information than we got in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, but it still leaves like a lot of questions unanswered. Like, RE, if two planets are passing this close to each other, how does all life on both of them not end? But whatever. Um, still, again, a leg up on what we're used to. Um, and, and the newscaster says that the shuttle will attempt to land on the planet today. Uh, and the camera cuts to the shuttle itself, and we are introduced to young astronauts Satoru uh, Yoshimura and Yumiko Nishida. And the camera pans on a couple of young men who are clearly the astronauts operating controls. And you assume that this is Satoru and Yumiko. Though Yumiko is a very feminine name, and these are clearly men, like, you know, whatever. But no, the camera just keeps panning, and there's two straight-ass little kids on this fucking spaceship. Why are there children on my space flight? <laughs> like, you know, like, it's one thing if it's, like, Apollo 32 and a half, and you're going to the moon for the millionth time, and you want to see, like, what effect zero gravity has on, on adolescence. Like, that's still kind of an irresponsible like experiment but but okay nasa i get it but you're sending two little kids to this strange planet named nemesis that you've never been to before 
I promise we're intelligent. (laughs) All right, Japan, you do you. So we get our first good look at Planet Nemesis. And of course, it is the weird celestial body uh, that's all crisscrossed with with like black and red that was uh, that Rita was released from in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Like like I that wasn't already obvious. That's where we're going. Our astronauts bring the shuttle in for a landing as the weird old man runs up onto the roof of a nearby building and is seemingly listening to them talk to each other, like with an ear held up to the wind, which is strange. And then it continues to get stranger as he grows a giant ass goblin ear suddenly. Yes, (laughs) it's magic. Yeah, and the camera freezes on this old man with his large weird ear as we are treated to the episode's title card. Uh, And now... We get the very familiar sequence of these Asian astronauts on the surface of Planet Nemesis discovering the space dumpster. Only this time when they touch it, we pan back to old Mr. Big Ear yelling at them, don't touch it, it's the seal. Because that's definitely going to help, you know, <laughs> on another planet. Yeah, they don't have big ears, like, old man. Leave them alone. They can't. Come on, man. <laughs> get, give yourself big lips or something. Fuck. They open it, of course, and all of our good monster friends come pouring out, much to their horror and dismay, and they once again flee in terror. Uh, we then get introductions for each of these monsters. Our little blue goblin friend that we know and love is Squat is Bookback here. Babu, the tall, thin, simian guy, is named Topat. Our favorite white elf thing, monster engineer, Finster, is actually Pleprechaun. And everyone's favorite gruff-voiced coward Goldar is Griforzar, which, I mean, cat face wings, Griff. Okay, Z-Ranger, you got me. Griforzar's probably a better name. But Bookback jumps around and yells for for Bandora to get up as we get the iconic sequence of Miss Bandora herself rising from her prison, arms outstretched to the heavens, and smile wide with joy at freedom. Though it's certainly strange to see this particular face talking without the familiar screeching voice of Rita Repulsa coming from it. Yeah, that was that was interesting. It was kind of a a double take moment for sure. Now, Bandora slept well, and Bookback and Topat fight for the privilege of doing the math to see exactly how long they were out, much to Pleprechaun's dismay, and they come up with a figure of 170 million years, 4 hours, 3 minutes, and 20 seconds, which, it's impressive that she was freed coincidentally exactly on the anniversary of her imprisonment, and also, holy shit, Power Rangers really lowballed it with 10,000 years, huh? So much. Can you imagine how much better life would be if I had slept for 170 million years? Oh, man, it's wild. I might actually lose the bags under my eyes. So this pisses Bandora off, the fact that she has been asleep for several eons, uh, and she blames the seal, which, okay, sure, probably, and proceeds to blow it the fuck away with her magic staff. Uh, Her monsters cheer, she thanks her erstwhile rescuers, the astronauts, who are still shitting themselves in fear, and then just puckers her lips and blows them off the fucking planet to die in the cold abyss of space. Zero Ranger is fucking hardcore already, you guys. The cameraman then predictably pans up to Earth, which Bandora greets as her old home, which is new, and says that after 170 million years, she'll have her revenge, which, yeah, I'd probably be a little bit impatient too after that. Yeah. Uh, We go to commercial, and when we come back, there's a building 
just straight up running through town, I guess. Like, <laughs> zero to a hundred, we go from Bandora on planet Nemesis vowing revenge to suddenly this planet is running through the streets of Tokyo like it's motherfucking Godzilla and the townspeople are fleeing with fear. Uh, and then multiple other buildings decide to join it in just rearranging the face of this city for no apparent fucking reason. As the big one decides to take off like a fucking rocket ship into the sky, which you guys, this show started crazy, <laughs> but it, like it started normal Power Rangers level crazy. This is just like zero to a hundred real fucking quick. It, it, it clipped crazy and just went straight into like mind bogglingly ludicrous for a moment. <laughs> On first viewing, I could have sworn that the tall building, when it took off, actually had rocket propulsors underneath it. And I was like, oh, come on. Who strapped rockets to this to, the, to this fucking skyscraper? But no, that's actually just, like, its foundation and, like, plumbing and shit trailing behind it. Which actually, like, good attention to realism. Special yeah, effects, that, that's guys. Some, that's some detail there. But yeah, initially it looked like it was like fucking rocket boosters. And I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> They've been planning for this for 170 million years. <laughs> so it swiftly becomes apparent who's behind this madness as the tower lands. And now on top of it is a very familiar silhouette to us, if not to the initial audience of Zia Ranger. It's Bandora's Palace, which lights up. The disco ball starts rotating. It's it's doing its thing. So there's people in the streets who were just a moments ago fleeing for their lives, now milling in surprise terror. There's a news helicopter trying to figure out what what the hell is going on. And Bandora makes her big debut alongside Griffarzar. She is riding on her weird flying old timey bicycle. And and Griffy is flying with the least convincing flight movement ever as she just cackles into the sky. So, Bandora says, listen up, you stupid humans. I'm the most powerful witch of all time, Bandora. I'll turn the earth into a stupid rock. Big fucking mood, Bandora. I get it. <laughs> uh, she proceeds to tell us, humanity is garbage. You believe in love or whatever. You should hate and kill each other and yourselves. Uh, which just goes to prove that Bandora was clearly an early adopter of internet message boards. Yep. Early troll. <laughs> she then just blows up a third of the city, like a solid third of the city. She just whips her staff out and suddenly it's fucking dust. Like 12 Skyrise buildings up in smoke. Bandora is hard fucking core. That was very much like, this is my land now. <laughs> yeah, she is not here to fuck around. Uh, and finally, we get back to Big Ear Grandpa as she rides her bicycle up to him directly. Uh, she tells him that it's been a long time and names him as the White Wizard Barza. He spins in a circle and gets a dope costume. And for a second, it looks like we're about to get a sweet wizard duel. But then Bandora taunts, did you forget? I defeated you and I stole all your spells. Seems like White Wizard might be a bit of a misnomer. Also, if he's now magicless... How is he 170 million years old, at minimum, and has a giant transforming ear? Does that stuff just <laughs> come stock for white wizards? Uh, maybe. <laughs> so Bandora animates his hose, makes it wrap its way around him and tie him up, and then turns it into a snake, because fuck you, Barza, now you have snakes. But then Barza just flexes, flexes his weak old man muscles, rips that snake into little bits of hose. Hey. He's a janitor now. Do you know how much muscle that builds? 
Fair. Uh, and Bandora ultimately concedes that he might still have a little bit of magic left in him. Our, our boy's not fully down and out yet. Barza tells Bandora that Earth is filled with love and hope. It's no place for her. To which she taunts back that she has the spaceship and the two children. So... I'm glad someone finally remembered that there were two children on a spaceship. Uh, and on that, we cut inside Bandora's palace and it's the tiny fucking spaceship. You guys, we did it. The tiny one, not only the spaceship, but the, the kids inside are shrunken to be itty bitty. And they have, the monsters have set up a Rube Goldberg machine, uh, where the sun will come through a magnifying glass, which will cut a horde, which is holding a big spiky fuck off iron ball that will fall and destroy the spaceship and kill the children, which is exactly the type of unnecessary, overly complicated villain shit that I crave in my Power Rangers content. Feed that shit to me like grapes. It's so good. But like, I looked at it and was like, did, did you ever play the game Mousetrap? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's exactly yeah. like, and it's like, it's like, why? <laughs> it's like if you've ever seen like a children's movie where they want you to understand that the main character is smart. And so he's got a machine with like 20 unnecessary parts that like butters his bread at breakfast or some shit. It's that, but for killing children. Exactly. <laughs> and the children are, are un they don't appreciate the artistry of the method. They're just horrified that they're about to die by monster. So Bookback and Topat line everything up just so to murder these children in exactly one hour uh, as Bandora uses her magic to show bars of this and taunt him that he has one hour to stop her before the children die. Uh, and then she retreats and tells him that he, it's up to him to stop her by himself. But is it? Barza enters the building's elevator, mumbling that he has secrets of his own, and he hits, like, six different six, buttons. Six, five, one, and then a thumb scanner. It's, it's Gravity Falls bullshit. Like, when, when Grunkle Stan goes to the vending machine and, and pushes, it's the, it's the same thing. Uh, and the elevator proceeds to take him to his secret cave basement lake. Sure. So... Barza has this underground lake dinosaur temple, and he prays to these great dinosaur spirits to wake the five warriors and allow justice to defeat evil and restore peace on Earth, which... Does he, though? Or does he just yell at them and tell them it's time? <laughs> I mean, it's goals. I get it. I, and as he's hollering as like like a senile old man at these statues we pan to them in order uh five shrines one each for tyrannosaurus triceratops pterodactyl saber-toothed tiger and mammoth and barza then leaves the shrine and runs into a room with various dino heads it looks like an effigy on the wall with a ring of keys and he starts putting the keys into sockets and it quickly becomes apparent that these aren't just wall effigies. They are, in fact, doors. Uh, first opening and awakening Black Warrior Goshi. And then wake up boy uh, into the yellow boy, room. Boy. B-O-I. Boy. Uh, you know, like the memers say. <sighs> and then May, there's no time to put on makeup behind the pterodactyl door. Uh, wake up Dan behind the Triceratops, and they each come out and do a little introduction flourish, each of the boys introducing themselves by name, title, in this case for all of them, their title is Knight, and the tribe that they hail from. Uh, and May introducing herself as Lithia Tribe Princess May. So she is a whole-ass dinosaur princess. But there's one more door, and unfortunately... The key breaks inside the lock of the Tyrannosaurus door. 
I'm telling you, janitors with their muscles, man. So Goshi and Boy immediately just shoulder ram these heavy ass marble doors, trying to that obviously <laughs> open outward and have stood for a hundred and seventy million years. At minimum. Smart people. <laughs> but yeah, they try to break him down with their shoulders. A plus for effort, boys. Uh, and Barza checks a sand dial that he definitely did not bring in with him before declaring that there's there's just no time. These four should go save the children while he takes care of this. And our heroes are off for the first time. We cut back to Bandora's palace where the court is fraying and the children are losing their shit. For, for almost all of the rest of this episode, we will cut to the same footage, this, the same shot. Of the rope starting to fray, the the ball like dropping like an inch, and the kids screaming. It's literally the same shot every time they do it, and they do it about 20 fucking times. Yeah, it happens every couple of minutes. <laughs> just to remind you of the stakes. Yeah, and Bandora is just looming over them and just loving their terror. Uh, but Topat nervously informs her that there's heroes coming, knights from the five tribes. Uh, he said there's a group of weirdos coming. Oh, I might have been taking notes and missed that. That's actually incredible. He definitely said, Vandora, there's a group of weirdos. Wow. So yeah, we cut down to our heroes zooming through the streets on their fucking dinosaur motorcycles. So we're a little sparse on details right now. Like we've gotten more, I think, plot at, than we had at this point in the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers introduction, certainly. But... From what we've seen, we can assume that these young knights have been magically hibernating for a really long fucking time. Like, maybe not the full 170 million years that Bandora has been in prison. Maybe a couple generations went by. But they've been magically hibernating for a long fucking time. Millions and millions of years. I don't know. I think I think it's the same set that imprisoned her because she recognized them. I would assume so. You've been sleeping this whole time waiting for my me to wake up. But at the bare minimum, when you pop out of a magical stasis chamber with a fuck-off axe and a bow, and you look like you stepped out of a renaissance fair, you were in there for a minute. But awake five minutes, they're like, yes, this is my motorcycle. I 100% know how to drive it. 100%. It's like riding a bike. I don't, Second nature. <laughs> I don't know if it concerns me more if they had motorcycles and dinosaurs both 170 million years ago, or if they didn't, both leave serious unanswered questions. But as we mentioned previously, they have, at this moment, they are short a red teenager, so they have two motorcycles. Uh, Goshi driving the black motorcycle with a yellow sidecar carrying boy, establishing them immediately as hashtag bro life. Uh, and Dan is driving a blue motorcycle with May in the sidecar, which her sidecar is not pink. So hashtag sex. No, it's like. It's like white. It's white and blue. Like if you see like the the out shot, like there's uh, when it goes to commercial later, you get a good shot of all of them their motorcycles. And yeah, it's white and blue. It's a it's a triceratops sidecar. So yeah, she better get a fucking plane later or something. That's all I'm saying. I hope so. That'd be dope. But we cut to commercial and we come back. Actually, this is when we see that commercial shot. And on the return shot, we actually do see all five mecha. Uh, so we have now seen all of them. Before we've seen them in action, but we're over halfway into the episode, still have not seen a Megazord. So that's pretty cool. We return on our heroes who now are at the top of the skyscraper. They have their weapons out and they are preparing to bust in the door to Bandora's palace proper. However, they bust through the doors, rush in, and suddenly they're not in Bandora's palace. They're on a beach. Some literal witchcraft is afoot here. And... 
like you can tell that these kids know how to fight because what do they do when they find themselves in a strange situation they were not prepared for and do not know what the enemy has prepared for them? They circle in back to back. Yeah. They are immediately back to back, fighting stance, looking around, head on a swivel. They know their shit. Yeah, there, there is no Billy in this group. <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, they circle up back to back and are greeted by seemingly putty hand puppets. They they immediately recognize them as mud dolls. Then these little dancing puppets immediately spring into full-size putties and punch them all and in the face. And punch them in the face. Like, each of them gets punched <laughs> individually in the face. It was so good. I, I I got a good laugh out of that scene. It was pretty good. Uh, and then we have another one of those like zero to full on madness real fucking quick moments because suddenly the sky turns into an abstract fucking Picasso painting. Bandora is there in a picture frame that's giant and half sunken into the ocean and is just blasting the fuck out of them with magic. They are getting magically ruckused all over the place. Yeah, she, she doesn't hold any punches back like... It damn near looks like she breaks the dimension at one point. Yeah, like the 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 screen, the screen that we are watching the action through starts to like crack and shatter and as it shatters, the camera abruptly switches back to Barza, who just shot a tiny cannon at the last door, <laughs> which failed to open yeah. the room. But that is a really cool camera trick that like the screen is exploding and then it cuts to an explosion. Like, that was really neat. Yeah. But yeah, Bars has had no luck whatsoever. This door is unscratched, despite the artillery he's leveraging at it. And he despairs. He takes a seat near tears and asks, what am I going to do? As the camera pans back to our heroes, who are now back in Bandora's palace, the city is visible in the sky behind them. And once again, they're circled up back to back. And immediately, the monsters drop a cage on them. And we pan to the monsters who are above them on a balcony, laughing maniacally and promising to barbecue them. And they set a fire beneath their cage as they struggle for freedom. So I I was watching this while I was getting ready for dinner. And I'm like, mm, barbecue. Have us a nice little spit roast. That's it. That sounds amazing. But how'd you guys get caught in, in time for a barbecue? <laughs> You're like trained warriors. How'd you get caught in this? Yeah, well, I mean, again, they were very disoriented, in fairness. They were just on a beach a second ago. It happens. That's fair. So, Goshi calls for May to use her bow, which, like, yes, you have one ranged weapon. Logical. And she tries, but Bookback manages to deflect her arrow, which already more competent than Squat ever is. <laughs> one 100%. episode does one good thing. Better henchmen already. But yeah, Bookback deflects her arrow. It narrowly misses the rope, holding the ball above the spaceship uh, and draws attention to the fact that time is almost up for the kiddos. That that rope is holding on by a thread. Bookback starts cranking a lever, which spins the cage, which I'm not sure if that's supposed to distribute heat. Like, I'm not sure of the cooking physics involved here, but the other yeah. monsters are loving it. <laughs> I mean... It'd work better if they were sideways, so you could, like, roll them and get the heat, like, more more evenly distributed. Yeah. But, you know, I understand what's going on here. Yeah, so all the other monsters are just being like, cook him more! Uh, and we zoom once again between the ball, the children, and finally, Barza, despairing as the last few grains fall from the sand dial. We need a miracle, and at this point, we get one. 
The eyes of the big stone statue shrine of the Tyrannosaurus flash and shoot out beams into the eyes of the door, and we see the bad animatronic T-Rex from earlier roar. And the door opens to a red silhouette with a sword. Now, at this point, we cut back to our heroes being roasted, and the door to that chamber opens, and in strides a man in a dope red jacket with a big fuck-off sword. And he jumps in, he cuts the chain holding the cage, which also makes the fire go out because reasons. Yes. And the cowering monsters demand to know who has done this, and we are officially introduced to Yamato tribe prince Geki. And Goshi makes... The horniest face I have ever seen in my life behind Geki. He is immediately fully erect. <laughs> so Geki cuts the lock and he frees his friends. But Griffarzar does not like Geki. There is history here and he is fucking pissed that this asshole is here. And he swoops down on his wings. Also, Griffizar has already used his wings more than Goldar ever does. So that's a thing as well. But he swoops yep. down to fuck him up and is immediately joined by more familiar putties. And at this point, we get an unmorphed fight with the putties and with Griffy, with our heroes all using their weapons. And I've always been like a, a big advocate for unmorphed fights in Power Rangers and how like they're really good and like have a lot more character I think than the morphed battles like like they they give you a lot more character development through fighting than the ranger mm -hmm. battles do and this is maybe the coolest unmorphed fight scene I've ever seen. It's so fucking rad. Um, I don't know if it's just the fact that they're all armed or the fact that they're just all really good, like, stunt actors. But Geki is just, like, slashing and kicking shit. May shot a putty in the fucking eye with her bow. Dan stabs a guy. It's it's fucking radical. Yeah, no, I was I was watching this and writing down, and it's like, unmorphed fight, and it's like, it it's it's a really solid technique like fighting technical wise and you really get to see how each of the, each person prefers to fight what their what their abilities are their how they are with their weapon of choice like it really gives you a good martial background for each of the characters it's also worth noting that like and you pointed this out pat um on on one of the mighty morphin episodes how trini like above all the other power rangers trini fights noticeably differently when she's morphed and unmorphed like she's very precise and agile when she's unmorphed and she gets really ferocious when she's morphed and yeah there is no such inconsistency with boy like that motherfucker no. is out for blood uh he is just going boy is a freaking monster <laughs> He's a little guy, which is unfortunate because his name is Boy. But god damn it, he's good with the I knocks. swear. I can't I can't take him seriously. <laughs> it's just like boy. For me, the name that really gets me is just Dan. Because you got all these Asian ass names and then Dan. But <laughs> <laughs> Dan. So at this point we cut to Barza, who is holding our familiar power coins, and he calls for the heroes to come outside and transform. He has their medallions. And apparently they do have giant old man ears, or at least the magical equivalent, because they hear him. He throws the medallions in streaks of colored light as the ancient heroes run out onto the balcony to catch them, and then leap away, not all the way down to street level, which would be a lot, but down to a lower rooftop, which is still a lot. And at this point, they pull out their dino bucklers, which are almost exactly the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers morphers, but with Kioru, or Kiyuru Sentai Zia Ranger emblazoned on the front. Um, they stick in their medallions and they transform. 
Uh, we get the familiar flourish call that we see in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers as they each introduce themselves with the Z Ranger theme blaring in the background and intercut with shots of our bad animatronic dinosaurs. This was this was a really fast morphing scene. Like it was there was no not a whole lot of fanfare for the actual morph itself. Like they went Dino Buckler and you know one transition they're morphed. Like there was no no whole sequence. It just went straight into it and went into their into their introduction and then kept going. Yeah, if you've watched early Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, you'll know the, the sequence that I'm talking about, at least if you've watched it closely or recently. But there's a sequence a couple times, like when they first morph or when they first teleport somewhere, where like a red shimmer will go down, particularly Jason, as they zoom in on him, and then they'll pull out to the whole team. That is the morph sequence in Zoo Ranger. Like they they whip out their morphers, they open up, and then we just get that. Um, so there, yep. there's no like individual like dino call, none of that. Just Boom, dino bucklers open up, morphed, done. Which which is is fine. It's like straight into the point and good. But at this point, we get the Goldar and Putty fight footage from episode one of Mighty Morphin. That being said, it's it's clearly the same fight, but I feel like it's a little bit more violent here. Like you can see where there's places where they cut particular like bits of contact from the the fight sequence for American audiences, probably concerned with American censors in the nineties, which is valid. But again, there's a lot more contact in this fight scene, which which I think is really, really interesting and neat is particularly between Geki and and Griffey who start swords dueling one-on-one. One of the really cool things I did think about this particular fight sequence, though, that we don't get in American footage is that the putties, as they are defeated and like start to fall apart, like you'll get little claymation animations of them, like putting themselves back together and jumping back into the fight, which I think immediately makes them a much more interesting and much more threatening bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a pretty good touch. <laughs> so Goshi and Boy are fighting the putties, and Geki is going one-on-one with, with Griffey, uh, and he calls out for May and Dan to leave them to it and go save the children. So May and Dan storm back into the palace, and they're back in the cage chamber, and Dan tells May to fly, which I was not aware was a power that she had. <laughs> I mean, she's a she's a pterodactyl. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but he hooks his hands and he gives her a boost. You know, she puts her foot up and he lifts. And as she leaps up to the balcony, she doesn't really fly so much as she just jumps unnaturally high and then kind of glides down rather than just straight falling. Um, but she manages to get all the way up to the balcony and snatch the spaceship just in time, literally to snatch it away from the jaws of destruction as the iron ball falls. And at this point, it seems like the day is saved. When a giant metal hand busts in and snatches the spaceship right out of Dan's arms. Bust on through. It's the (laughs) motherfucking giant from the end of High Five. He punches his way into Bandora's palace, punches a hole into the boss's house to prevent them from saving the children, which makes so much more sense than freeing the rangers from your own evil plan by accident. It's... It's so much better. Yeah, it's it's way better. That said, he grabs the the space shuttle, right? Which at the time could fit in May May and Dan's arms. And when he grabs it, it is bigger than his hand. Okay, 
headcanon kayfabe, the magic that shrunk it is starting to wear off. That's why they had an hour to break it. Now it's starting to get big again. Accepted. <laughs> I can go with that. Got it. Uh, but yeah, we cut out to a full view of the giant. He, the spaceship is in his arms and it's suddenly much bigger than it just was a moment ago. And he is introduced on screen as Dora Titan. Uh, the other rangers arrive and Dan fills them in. Big giant took him spaceship. Bad juju. Geki asks, what the hell is it? Which, fucking right. Uh, and, then the, right? and then the giant uses his big sword to cut a whole fucking building in half. Not fucking around in this iteration in the slightest. As we hear echoes of Bandora laughing through the sky. No big deal. And at this point, you're probably thinking, call Zords. It's Zord time. But... No, no Zord time. The giant disappears as the narrator comes on to ask whether the heroes will be successful and what will happen to the children. And we go to credits on the cliffhanger to be continued. Pat, final thoughts. I liked it. Like, I, I, I really like, especially at the end, the ability to cut on that cliffhanger and have it go over into the second episode. Like, that, that, like I, I think that's really good narratively. You know, be able to take that time, you know, I'm expecting and waiting for a, a more thorough introduction of our heroes, but this definitely established them as the heroes, you know, I really like how much it focused on Pandora in the first, like, two thirds of the episode, who she was, why she was there, what the goal was, and it, it, it gives you a better reason for her to actually attack Earth. Instead of, after 10,000 years, I'm free, I'm going to kill that place. Yeah, yeah. Her having history here, I think, is really important for her being a character and not just a caricature. Yeah. I, again, there's a lot of depth here. Like, it, it's clear that these characters have history that we're not privy to, um, particularly Japanese Goldar, uh, Griffey, and, and Geki. Mm -hmm. like, like, they clearly, there's bad blood there. And I'm, I'm really interested to see that explored as we go. I like this a lot. Again, this is my first time watching it, and I have a ton of nostalgia for the OG Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. But this is frankly just a better show. Like, it, it's a better television program. And that's not to say that Power Rangers isn't good or that it doesn't do good things from it. But if all of Z Ranger is of the quality that we have seen in this one episode, I, I am already, I'm Team Z Ranger, like, like hands down. I, we don't know a lot about our protagonists yet, but but again, I think that you're right. I think that focusing on like the larger conflict initially and just showing them as these are our heroes is fine, as long as they follow that up with some solid like character spotlights very shortly after, and I'm sure they will. Gut impressions. I like Goshi a lot, and like that might be really premature, but like he's already just like. He's got more personality, I think, than the rest of them do, just from the little bit we've seen of them. And I'm really interested to see what they do with him. Mm -hmm. My only other real thought is, I, I think that this episode really highlights well how much of shit being bananas in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers isn't because necessarily they got bananas footage and they couldn't make it work. They just didn't give a fuck and didn't expect kids to give a fuck. Like, it would have been so easy at the end of High Five for the time machine... Well, initially for the time machine to be a tiny spaceship, specifically because Rita built it out of the spaceship from the astronauts that freed her. Like, that's a no-brain solution. It takes one line of dialogue to say, you know, well, those astronauts, not only did they leave us free, they left us as parting gift. 
they just didn't use it because they expect kids to not think about it. And I was one of the kids who didn't think about it. So touche, I guess. Me too. All right, guys. Well, that is our episode for today. Thank you so much for checking it out with us. I hope that you are as excited to be venturing into the strange and alien world of Kia Rusentai Z Ranger as we are. Um, as always, you can reach the show if you are of a mind to. Um, you can get at us by email. Uh, you can email us at bandorapod at gmail.com or you can find us on various social media at bandorapod. Uh, Pat, where can our listeners find you around the web? You can find me on Twitter at PokeRangerPat. And you can find me on Twitch when I'm streaming as Poker Ranger Pat. Awesome. Um, now you can follow me personally if you're of a mind to at BBR Jolly on Twitter. But we will be back on Thursday with the second episode and conclusion of the opening two-parter of Kiaru Sentai Z Ranger: The Revival. But that's going to be it for us today, guys. As always, I have been Steven. and I'm Pat. But we have to go because we have a headache. Oh, he's got such a headache. Somebody bring me!